Hello, and welcome to the Get Schooled podcast, an outlet of the Kentucky Student Voice Team. My name is Kira Pusateri, and I'm a senior at Danville High School in Boyle County, Kentucky, and the executive producer of the podcast. Today's episode is centered around student autonomy and the relationship between the administrators, teachers, and students based on policies put in place. We'll start off with a storytelling clip that highlights common student autonomy issues in Kentucky education. Here's Isha Bajwa, a freshman at the University of Louisville and a recent graduate of Fern Creek High School in Jefferson County, describing some of her experiences with student autonomy regarding bathroom privileges and mobility. Hello, my name is Isha Bajwa. I use she, her pronouns. I am a college freshman at the University of Louisville, but I am a recent graduate from Fern Creek High School. So when the topic of student autonomy is brought up, I kind of think about the complete opposite when that comes to high schools and my experience at least. Um, uh, The example of mobility during lunch and hall security is a large um, point of discussion when it comes to student autonomy. Um, I had one teacher that allowed us to eat in her room during lunch and it eventually became a kind of like a whole classroom full of kids. just because her her environment was very inviting and a large class a large cafeteria is quite intimidating for some people so having a classroom to eat and lunch was very um, nice for a lot of us uh, students um, but it was getting to a point where a lot of administrators were getting kind of like fed up with it and even though you know there was no rule saying that she couldn't do that she had to make us all laminated lunch passes that had our names on it and said uh, that we were allowed to eat up in in her room. Um, I think this mainly stemmed from the fact that people who got food from the cafeteria would constantly get stopped from coming back upstairs because her classroom was on the second floor Um, because you're normally not allowed to leave the cafeteria at all during lunch. And so I necessarily didn't necessarily have this problem because I packed my own lunch but if I did have to go use the bathroom it was a big deal and I had to bring my pass with me um I've had plenty of administrators come and ask me where I'm going um and I would have to show them my pass even though this one teacher should have um and definitely did communicate with the administrators that like I was allowed in her room and it kind of just goes to show that um, administrators don't trust students unless another adult verifies what they're doing. Um, But yeah, this one uh, big example is just lunchtime was always hectic about really going anywhere besides the cafeteria. They really controlled students and putting them all in one place. Um, And... uh, kind of stemming off of that is the whole devious lick situation. I definitely think that at the beginning of the year, there wasn't that many issues with um, controlling students and where they are allowed to go. But as soon as we had the devious lick situation, um, we also had a lot of like smoking problems in the bathroom. So eventually administration got kind of tired of it and made an, am- an announcement on in the morning one day saying that they weren't going to tolerate this foolish behavior anymore and kind of just kind of said that uh, the students were being too rowdy and that they were going to now require a teacher to call an escort to bring a student to go to the bathroom and that these these um, escorts were going to be either another administrator or one of our security guards and that the bathrooms are always going to be unlocked, locked, unless a teacher or said escort kind of unlocked it for you. And yeah, I definitely think that once this rule was set in place, um, there seemed to be a lot more adults patrolling around everywhere. And when I mean everywhere, I really mean everywhere. They started having adults kind of standing outside all the bathrooms, and you were really just questioned for being in the hallway for any reason even after school um like there were a couple times where I stayed after school like you're not allowed to go back upstairs once you come downstairs and you had to everyone had 
if you were a bus rider, they would tell you to go somewhere. And if you were a car rider, they'd make you wait in the area near the front office. And I believe they also kind of, um, yeah, if you left outside the building, like I think, you know, there were second run bus students who if they were if they went outside they were not allowed back in the building and just in general they were really controlling um who was coming in and out of the building which as to a certain extent does make sense for safety but I definitely think that like one day I was staying after school and I wanted to go meet with the teacher and ask her about something and I wasn't allowed back upstairs I was told I have to wait for my parents so things like that just kind of rub you the wrong way like it that's shouldn't be a big deal if I need to go talk to like genuinely talk to a teacher about something and things like that um back to the bathroom situation um these rules were definitely very intense um uh but luckily in the beginning I kind of found a way to like sneak into the bathroom I say sneak but really um before they would lock it like between fourth and fifth period um, that was kind of, like, the time that I could go, um, unfortunately, this didn't last long, um, because, one, most of the bathrooms on the second and third floor just became locked more frequently, and then, second, they started forcing people to go down to the first floor bathroom after fifth period, which was annoying because that bathroom was always crowded, over capacity like there were literal signs um because of covid that there was only a certain capacity of people allowed to be in there but those bathrooms are so crowded um i think this kind of stems from the fact that like someone vandalized the second floor bathroom at some point like we're taking they were literally scraping off the tiles from the floor like going underneath them and breaking them and i guess that's probably a reason why, um, but it was just really annoying. Um, it got to a point where I just genuinely stopped hydrating myself during the day because I knew that I could not go to the bathroom and that it was just a hassle to go to the bathroom. So I avoided it at all costs. Um, and I know that I wasn't alone in this at all. There were plenty of students who felt the same way and, and teachers as well who thought calling escorts is just a headache interrupting class um teachers would have to you know if they would call escorts as they were supposed to um the escorts would either take forever to show up or just wouldn't show up at all at some points um and then administration would get frustrated with teachers for basically calling them even though calling said escorts even though that's what they were supposed to do but yet if a teacher just you know gave up on that and told a student that they could go to the bathroom without an escort, that was somehow worse. It was just a lose-lose situation overall. Um, but that doesn't, and the chaos doesn't really end there with the um, bathroom situation. Um, the last day of school was also a mess this past school year. Um, I wasn't there because I was a senior and so we didn't have to go in to the school building for the last day we had a graduation practice and that was basically it but i've heard from plenty of people that the last day was just quite awful um there was an announcement made in the morning saying that students were not allowed to visit other teachers and if they were not in their assigned classes that administration would send them back to their class which this rule was definitely quite annoying, like it's the last day of school, you would love to see some of your favorite teachers, and you know, it's normally supposed to be pretty lax, um, but it wasn't necessarily like the worst that it could have been, um, but fourth period was when it started getting a little hectic and crazy, um, as there were a lot of people in the hallways that were not following the rules and getting kind of loud, um, then administrators said administration then decided that if they found students who weren't in class that they would be pulled in the office and then forced to go home a lot of people were sent home for simply just being in the hallway uh when they weren't supposed to which is um kind of extreme for something that small of an issue um after the bell for fifth period there was an announcement saying the teachers 
we're allowed to basically force the students back into the classroom, um, allegedly, and someone said they heard, you know, teachers saying that they have permission to um, touch students and put their hands on students, and it was just very scary to hear these things um, as well. We had lots of fire alarms pulled uh, right before six period. The fire alarm went off more than three times in a row. And um, some teachers were like, don't even get up and go outside. Like, there's just, like, don't even pay attention to that. It was just a lot to process in one day. And it kind of just highlighted how if students are getting rowdy and just maybe not behaving the best that sometimes adults will take it into their own hands in the wrong way and not handle the situation um, very well. So yeah, that last day was quite crazy. Um, kind of moving on to a slightly different topic, but kind of related to student autonomy is choosing classes. Um, most students don't really get a choice in what types of classes they take. Even though, you know, honors and AP classes are definitely a choice, or appear to be a choice, some students can be kind of thrown into honors and AP classes, and really, this is a, this is a result of schools trying to make their image better, trying to seem more prestigious by having more enrollment in these types of classes, which may appear to be a good thing, but if you're kind of thrown into these classes, you know, students aren't going to feel as prepared and they're not having a voice in if they can even handle it or not. You know, those types of classes are rigorous, or at least supposed to be, and, and then the administration wonders why the test scores aren't that great, which maybe we shouldn't be measuring things based on test scores to begin with, but that is the main measure here for these types of classes. Um, kind of going along with that, there's also scheduling. Scheduling is always a big headache because, you know, students can maybe request for a certain class and when schedules come out, maybe that class isn't even on their schedule and students don't have a say and maybe trying to change that and sometimes scheduling seems kind of like haphazard like oh just throw one together but it kind of mat kind of matters what classes you take um depending on what path you want to uh, pursue after high school but it's just kind of one of those things that students get a don't get a choice in what kind of curriculum they choose for themselves or, you know, want to pursue in the curriculum that they learn about. So that's just one other aspect. So overall, we kind of discussed mobility during lunch, hall security, escorts and locked bathrooms, as well as the last day of school and how hectic that can be and choosing classes. Now that we've heard a story directly pulled from real student experiences, we're going to listen to two research segments that highlight the legality of policies put in place for phones and searches and seizures. Here's Aiden Velo, a junior at DuPont Manual High School in Jefferson County with research on phone use. Hey everyone, my name is Aiden Velo, and I'll be talking about the use and liberty of phones in schools. It's the end of a class. You finished all of your assignments as you look around waiting for further instruction. The block is over in 15 minutes, so you decide to pull out your phone from your pocket and start scrolling through your socials. But then, suddenly, your teacher walks over to your desk and demands you hand over your phone as it's not allowed based on school policy. You say no. It's your phone, your right to your own property. As a student, it's easy to imagine a situation like this, but it begs the question, to what extent can school administrations take students' phones, and what rights do students have to their personal property within the confines of the school building? Well, let's first start by defining what Kentucky law is in regards to phone use, or telecommunications devices, in legal terms. According to the Kentucky Revised Statute Number 158.165, quote, the Board of Education of each school district shall develop a policy regarding the possession and use of a personal telecommunications device by a student while on school property. A student who violates the policy shall be subject to discipline provided by, by board policy. 
end quote. In summary, Kentucky law states that every school administration has the right to develop their own school rules for phone use for their students, and those students who break the phone use rule would be subject to said rules. This means that if students are using their phones at an unsanctioned time, then it is 100% allowed under school policy for teachers to take a student's phone. In my personal experience, I've never seen this happen before, but to know it can happen serves as a deterrent. Now, the place where this dilemma becomes ambiguous is when teachers or the administration tries to ask or force students to open their phones. If this happens and someone invokes school policy in order to to get a peek at a student's private information, just know that school policy is superseded by a higher law. In fact, the highest law. The Fourth Amendment, the one that protects all Americans to unreasonable searches and seizures, is meant for situations exactly like this one. The school is completely within their rights to take a student's phone, but has no legal standing to open it without the student's permission. It is important to note that a student's phone and backpack are protected from searches as they are the student's property, but lockers are not, since they are owned by the school. In order for the school to be able to open a student's phone, they must have reasonable suspicion that there's evidence of mischievous wrongdoing or injury to another individual prior to searching. Openly defying the teacher and protesting the handing over of one's phone would most likely constitute an unreasonable search, since who wouldn't protest getting their phone taken away? So while having phones out in class may be allowed by some teachers some of the time, if it's in a school's policy, then the school does have the right to confiscate phones. However, despite being in a controlled environment, the law of the land still protects students' rights to privacy unless there is reasonable suspicion that something harmful may be discovered upon opening. Student autonomy in regards to phone can be difficult to pinpoint, but we hope this clears up some of the misconceptions. Continuing the discussion on student property rights, here's Sarah Ferlugi, a student at Polo and Stumbar High School in Fay County, and their research segment on unlawful searches and seizures. Hi, my name is Sarah Faluji, and in this section we will be talking about how student autonomy is affected by schools in the U.S. based off of the Fourth Amendment, which protects people in general from unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. So to give a broader definition of student autonomy, student autonomy is the ability students have to act independently and take responsibility for their own learning and the decisions they make in school. And student autonomy is super important because it demonstrates the impact students have on their own school environments. This has an impact on their belongings, their decisions, and their own education. So, in order to examine how student autonomy is affected by the Fourth Amendment, we're going to take a look at two Supreme Court cases. So, the first case took place in 1985, where the first law challenging student autonomy for belongings was created, which was during the New Jersey versus TLO case. In this case, TLO was a 14-year-old female student at a New Jersey high school who was found with another student smoking cigarettes in the girls' restroom in the school building in violation of the school rules. The teacher brought the two students to a school administrator who questioned each one of them. The second student admitted to smoking cigarettes, but TLO denied the allegation. So the administrator accused TLO of lying to him and demanded to see her purse in an attempt to find the cigarettes. Among other things, when the administrator opened her purse, he found a pack of cigarettes and cigarette rolling paper. He further searched the purse and found a small plastic bag containing a grass-like substance and items that could be used as drug paraphernalia, including pipe, a wad of money, a piece of paper with the names of students who apparently owed TLO money, and a letter that appeared to implicate TLO in dealing marijuana. The administrator contacted the police, who in turn contacted TLO's mother. The mother brought TLO to the police station, where she confessed to selling marijuana. Due to this case, the U.S. decided that the Fourth Amendment should apply to students in public schools. The Supreme Court concluded, however, that the school environment requires a more flexible restriction of the Fourth Amendment, to which searches by public authorities are normally subject. School officials, therefore, did not need probable cause or warrant to search students, and there was no guidelines on how searches should actually be conducted, which ended up becoming a severe problem. Over the two years after the case, guidelines for student searches were developed. Searches must be conducted only when there is reasonable suspicion that the student had something illegal, and the measures used to conduct the searches are reasonable to the objective of the search. The second case that we're looking at here 
is Safford Unified School District v. Redding, which was a case in which the Supreme Court of the United States held that a strip search of a middle school student by school officials violated the Fourth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. This case set guidelines against conducting strip searches against students within school. It reasoned that the strip search was not justified, nor was in the scope of intrusion reasonably expected related to the circumstances. Search measures used by school officials to rule out contraband was decided that it must be reasonably related to the objectives of a search and not excessively intrusive in light of the age and sex of a student and the nature of the infraction. Now that we've discussed some historical cases and precedents set in the U.S., let's talk about the views held by Kentucky schools. So focusing on Frederick Douglass High School in Lexington, Kentucky, the following statement is included in their code of conduct regarding metal detectors. Students and visitors entering our school facilities may be subject to a screening or search involving a metal detector and a screening or a search by school personnel for the purpose of providing a safe and secure learning environment, not to discover an arrest as in a criminal investigation. An affirmative signal or response from a detector will serve as a reasonable suspicion for a more intrusive search. The use of trained dogs to locate prohibited illegal substances, items, or materials on property owned or controlled by the board may be utilized. The alert of a trained dog to an item or area shall qualify as reasonable ground on which to base a further search. Overall, student autonomy in regards to searches and seizures has been heavily discussed in both the U.S. as a whole and in Kentucky. As school shootings and drug issues increase, schools have begun to crack down on using metal detectors and taking other measures to ensure safety for the students in their schools. While this leads to the protection of students, you can't help but wonder how this loss in student autonomy will affect the school environment and how students feel in their schools. Now that we have both the storytelling and legal background of student autonomy in Kentucky schools, let's ask some current students what they think about student autonomy in their schools and how it affects their education. All right. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining me at this, this roundtable discussion about student autonomy and the way that it affects student behavior. We'll start off by introducing ourselves, saying our name, pronouns, grade, and school, and then we'll get started. I'll go ahead and start. My name is Kira Busateri. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a senior, and I go to Danville High School. Hi everyone, my name is Aiden Velo. I use he, him pronouns, and I go to DuPont Manual High School. Hi everyone, my name is Isha Badra. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a college freshman at the University of Louisville, but I recently graduated from Fern Creek High School within JCPS. Awesome. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. So our first question to discuss is, what rule or policy in your school is the most challenged by students? It could be a dress code, cell phone policy, anything the student body does not agree with for the most part. Um, so in manual, and I forgot to say this, but I am a junior at manual. Um, and I think while manual, I think is very, um, it has a lot of self-autonomy inside of it. I think the biggest rule that they are now um, kind of cracking down on is ensuring that all students have an assigned agenda whenever they need to go anywhere in the school, really, and they need permission from a teacher. And they say that um, someone in the hallway will check. Um, I've never heard of that, um, which kind of puts into question, is there enforcement to um, these rules or is it just kind of a show of authority? Yeah, I think something similar that comes to mind um, that, uh, that like, hot hallways are very much monitored and like where you go especially during lunch I know that a lot of my friends and I would often try to like stay in a teacher's classroom because we felt one safer in a classroom than in the cafeteria but two um like with COVID and things like that would prefer to like be in a smaller classroom that doesn't have that many people versus in the cafeteria um but we would always have trouble like administrators constantly it got worse throughout the school year like last year when I was a senior At the beginning it wasn't as bad but like anywhere you go there would be an administrator like near the bathrooms like we literally had administrators waiting near the bathrooms and like constantly checking on people or like you can't leave the cafeteria for any reason and just generally like blocking students from really doing anything and making them feel like they have to stay trapped in one area um and then 
also, um, I think because of that, most people, not most people, but we definitely had some, um, we had, we had fights last year, but we also had like dance battles where people would crowd the, like purposely crowd the hallways, which it sounds really funny. And I didn't really witness any of them firsthand, but like the hallways were so crowded because everyone would block it up and kind of like are trying to like go against that. Um, but it was just a very hectic year last year. And then, oh, I remember also we, we were doing a science experiment outside and my teacher told the administrators we'd be going outside, but we still had them being like, where are you going? Why are you, why are you going outside? Like, and like just constantly feeling like we're not being trusted just to just do something for a class and, and things like that. So definitely hall monitoring is a big one that most students don't enjoy or just hate in general. Yeah, I have to agree with both of you because our school has a lot of issues with the hall monitoring. And I I was walking out because I I leave an hour early for my because I have a job and like you can do co-op or schools to work. And so I was walking out to my car and like there was just a line of like the administrators. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to my car. And they were like, no, you're not. And I was like, no, I actually am allowed to leave. (laughs) Like I signed out in the office. I'm good to go. They're like, yeah, now you got to show us some proof. And so I had to walk all the way back to like the office like show them like the sign out paper and be like yeah now I can now I'm actually late for the work that I was scheduled to do because I leave out an hour early so that was frustrating and I think I'm, not the, I'm definitely not the only, only person to have to deal with that at our school they're just kind of everywhere just blocking hallways um, and then our school has a huge problem with a dress code um, last year they they rolled out a new dress code in the middle of the school year which is not smart um, and like there was a lot of pushback from all the students we had like um, like dress code days where we would all violate the dress code and they would have to dress code all of us or send us all home and it was just a big deal. Um, but the dress code, in my opinion, was very unfair and a little sexist and racist. So I, I think it was a worthy cause, but yep. Um, and then the opposite of that question pretty much is what policies do students agree with for the most part? Like any policies that are already put out, the students are pretty much okay with. Um, I think that this may not really be a, a school policy, but I think our school is definitely, um, everyone has adjusted to um, like the switch between the virtual from COVID to um, in-person school now. Um, and our school has a block schedule. So for anyone who doesn't know th- what that is, it's essentially we have uh, four classes in a day. So eight in total, we have rotating days, um, every other day, they're called red wet, red days and white days, um, and each of our classes are um, 90 minutes each. So we have four classes in a day um, with 90-minute blocks. And I think that this may be a shift for a lot of people from middle school to high school, um, but, I mean, it's not something that uh, students can really argue with, but I, for the most part, I don't think I've heard anyone um, feeling too um, unhappy with the block schedule, uh, even after COVID. Um, It may be a little bit of an adjustment, but I think once you get used to that routine, um, it's, you're able to handle it. Yeah, and going kind of what Aiden was saying about like COVID, um, I feel like my senior year, they were pretty good about like enforcing masks and like, at least in the beginning, and I feel like most students didn't have a problem with that. Like they felt safer knowing that like our school recognized like that we should be wearing masks, especially when um, we were still kind of like in the red zone. Um, but I also think about like, because I went to a more urban school, I feel like um, administration, administration was a little bit better about like um, trying to embrace diversity, even if they weren't like the best at it, they definitely like try to recognize it. And, um, you could definitely see that through, through the different clubs that were starting up. Like I know that we had a Nepali student association or something for Nepali students. And there was also like an Arab, um, club for students and like a Korean club like just generally speaking they were trying to allow like students of different ethnicities to like have a community and I feel like that was really nice and most students enjoyed that so yeah 
Yeah, I, I think our school, for the most part, agrees with the cell phone policy. We have a pretty lax cell phone policy. Um, it's just that, like, keep it out or keep it away um, if you're, like, actively being taught or, like, there's active instruction. Once, like, that's over and you have free time, then it's up to you or the teacher. But what I think is, I think it is pretty fair because, like, I, I usually get my work done really quickly. And so whenever I'm just sitting there, like, I want to listen to music or... I don't know, scroll on my phone for a few minutes, like it, it works out well. Um, but also it, it depends on the teacher and the student and how well the student like treats that rule and what privileges they earn or lose for that reason. So yeah, I think our, our school is pretty reasonable about that. But that did that policy did come after a lot of pushback from a few years ago with the cell phone policy. So I think it was a lot of um, like going back and forth and making new rules coming out with that. All right, and then to change it up a little bit, um, our next question is about how students react to policies and how the administration um, like deals with them and who is called out for these policies. So when it comes to enforcing school policies, do you find that there is unequal or regular enforcement for certain students? It could be like a certain group of people, just anything in general. Um, I can go ahead and start with this one because I have one that comes to mind immediately, and it's the dress code. Um, they definitely target women because I've been dress coded several times as a not super skinny person and um like they're just like there's just certain things that they call out that maybe teachers should not be looking at like one of our teachers um said that we need to wear bras like all girls need to wear bras was the quote and I'm like that maybe something you probably shouldn't say that or like look at that in like teenage girls maybe and I think that that is definitely a red flag there for an administrator to say that to a bunch of teenage girls and I have noticed that a lot of um, like girls of color have been dress coded. Um, just I don't really know what the reason is behind that. I just I think I've noticed there's, there's like a like a regular thing that happens, and also just girls who are a little bit bigger, people who are a little bit bigger. One person, I think the same same lady who said the thing about the bras is that she said that um, if you just like you don't need to wear muscle tanks because like no one wants to see your big arms. And I was like that also you shouldn't be body shaming students. So I think that that is definitely a very big problem in our school, calling out um, people who are a little bit bigger, people who are just like wearing clothes that fit them, I guess. It's just, it's it's a whole issue. And I think that the, the dress code is definitely not the main concern at our school. There's so many other problems that need to be focused on. And that's a whole other story for another day. But like, that's just something that I've noticed a lot in the last few years. Yeah, I 100% think that there is um, inequity in, like, who gets punished as well. Um, like, I even saw it uh, firsthand in, like, one of my classes. I felt like my teacher was being very harsh with, like, certain students over others, and that tended to be um, Black men that were in my classes. And if they showed even a little bit of aggression, um, this one teacher was very like would pull them out of the hallways and like talk to them and like disrupt class to punish students. And that in itself, I find like very ironic that like, especially this teacher was very adamant and like, you need to be learning all the time, leading to be in class on time. But he also takes away class time to punish students for very, very um, minuscule and like obscure things that don't really even matter. Um, and I definitely think that, generally speaking, uh, schools um, vil- tend to villainize uh, students of color for very small things and give them harsher punishments. Um, and in general, like suspensions, I think, don't really need to be a punishment because you're telling a student, hey, you did something wrong. Don't even co- come back to school. And then it just kind of perpetuates the cycle of them not wanting to come to school and like this whole thing of like chronic, chronically not being at school and like ab- ab- absenteeism, I think. Chronic absenteeism is what I'm thinking. And so, yeah, that's definitely a big one. So for my school, um, I feel like there's a large portion of the student, the attendees, the students who are people of color. So if they started discriminating based on race, they'd have to they'd have to um, discriminate against everyone, uh, which doesn't make too much sense. So that's not really the biggest problem. I think while there there definitely needs to be a conversation um, about uh, like bias training within teachers and such, because I think it's important, but 
I think um, what needs to happen is there needs to be conversations within the student body about the issues. I think setting away time for that, um, whether that be like like once a semester, just to have a lot of people able to voice themselves and voice their concerns to the administration, either in a public or private way, I think would really help um, improve the whole administration. And um, additionally, like, since schools are basically like, um, there's a power hierarchy between um, the administration and teachers and students, I think it since not everyone has like a sense of um like doing this for the students for like these high these highly idealized um notions i think a lot of rule following or rule bending comes to the discretion of like individual people which in this case would be the teachers so it just really depends on whether your teacher is a good person or not um it, whether you get away with some of these rules um, or their interpretation of the rules. So I think um, the way this question is phrased in my mind, putting uh, teachers in front of students, and this is just like AP Psych talking, but um, there's kind of like a bias there saying that teachers are valued more than students just because they're put first. But I, I think it's the opposite. I think students are viewed way more highly um, in our school than teachers. And that's not just because there's so many students. Um, I think students as a whole are valued more than teachers and teachers' uh, opinions, but I think the individual student is not. Um, there is a huge, well, I guess it wouldn't, it would, wouldn't be huge. It'd be more subtle, a subtle um, kind of discontentment that you hear maybe is like a couple comments every year from different teachers about how the administration isn't uh, listening to them or how the supply chain feels very bureaucratic for ordering new supplies in their classrooms. And as just like listening to that, I just take notes. Um, but I mean, it's very similar for students as well. Um, it's true th that school, school administrations have a lot on their plate and they have to deal with a lot, but shouldn't one of their largest, like their largest um, focus be on keeping or making teacher and student voices be heard and taking all of their complaints into account and to shape their future actions. I feel like that has been strayed away from um, in my schooling experience. And I think that has led to a lot of um, complaints. Maybe nothing big has happened, but I feel like there's just this like undercurrent of discontent. Um, between students and teachers uh, and the administration. But I think that students' opinions are taken more heavily. I think it's really more the parents' opinions that are taken more heavily than, um, than teachers. Yeah, um, I definitely feel like uh, my school kind of contra uh, contrasts age in school. Um, we definitely, like going back to the hallway thing, um, students were just completely distrusted and the only way that they were trusted was if a teacher vouched for them saying oh they're allowed to be in the hallways like they i have they have my permission and so it's very much adult dominated <laughs> in the sense that like only adults will see other adults as like um having inherent value and uh, trusting their opinion and things like that so I wouldn't say that most students are trusted and it's really hard. Um, like there are teachers who definitely, you know, um, extend out their trust towards students. And then there will be some people that take advantage of that and, and, and kind of ruin their kindness and, and kind of turn it on its head. And so it's really hard for I would also say some teachers to feel like they can trust all of their students because, you know, teachers are already going through it. Like being a teacher post COVID like is 100% harder. Um, and we're already losing so many teachers to begin with, like within, uh, I've definitely read a statistic, especially about Kentucky teachers and how we have a large portion of, of either teachers retiring or like within their first five years, just, leaving and we have 
a teacher shortage in some areas, right? Um, so it's it's definitely a, a double-edged sword. I definitely think that students should be trusted more. Um, but then we should also hold our peers that are taking advantage of that, like, accountable. Like, hey, realize if if we want this to apply to all of us, then, like, we we got to work on that as a like a collective and and like I'm not saying that we should like point fingers and like shame these people but rather try to lift each other up and and see because there's obviously a root problem to if if they're acting out in class and or um kind of taking advantage of a teacher's kindness like there is an underlying issue there and so yeah I definitely think that teachers are trusted more in that sense but when it comes to like making decisions on like school policy or like where school agenda is going going in the next year I still don't think teachers are really told much like I remember last year like every teacher got like a new smart tv and I think that was a decision made by the district and um teachers didn't really have a say like or know why they were getting what some teachers already had one and didn't need one and and it felt like they weren't included in this conversation yet our budget is not like our school budget does not reflect what our needs are and so I also think that's a big thing like teachers aren't included in the conversation of what we should actually be budgeting for and um what needs more funding and things like that like a lot of teachers who are struggling would, you know, if they had a say in, in the budget, they would be a lot better off. So I, it's, it's like, a, again, it's like a hierarchy. Like they have a little bit more say than students, but in the grand scheme of things, not really. I honestly don't think our, our school values either all that much, like the teachers or the students. It's really a an admin situation. Um, we've had like an entirely new admin come in in the last two years, like brand new, never been an administrator before. I think one was a teacher in the past and the rest have not taught before. And so like they just started rolling out new policies and new like rules, new like teacher rules, rules for students and like teachers and the administrators. It was just really, it was not good. And there was no communication whatsoever between the students and teachers and the teachers and the admin and just all throughout the entire thing. And so that was obviously a huge problem. Just like everyone was just kind of mad at each other. Teachers were treated, they think the teachers were treated very poorly and in turn taught this, like they just like were mean to the students and everyone was just mad at each other. And um, it really just, it was disheartening to see because you saw so many teachers just get, frustrated with themselves and with the admin for not like being enough for them or like just having there's a lot of issues with um teacher relationships I think with the admin at our school which is not good because you want to keep teachers there's not very many of them right now and um like our school has a very high turnaround rate for teachers and administrators just because like I'm not really sure exactly why I'm just guessing making a guess here the just they're not treated very well by the board or by the admin or by even the students, there's just not good relationships between all three. And it definitely rubs off on the students a lot. So I guess they probably, yeah, I think like, like you just said, there still is a hierarchy, but it's just not super great either way. It's not great to have a hierarchy, but it's also not great to like have a free for all really. So it's just kind of a mess is what it is. But um, I wish that they would listen to students more often and the teachers more often, because that is a huge problem at our school, communication. All right. And our last question, super similar to the last one, um, is there pressure put on the teachers to enforce the rules created by the administration and how do those rules affect the teachers? So while writing a different article or coming up with ideas um, for, uh, I think the the new edu, edu, sorry. while writing one of my articles for that, uh, I interviewed a couple of teachers just like to get their opinions on like whether they felt like there was any major problems in our school. And one of them said that there is one of the major things that they have to teach um, is the 
is to have is to meet the board standards or the state standards. You know, you have to take those tests. But they feel the bars set by the state are too low because a lot of um, a lot of other teachers will teach above that content or either that if they're good teachers they'll teach above that content or they see those standards and they'll want to meet them and follow the guidelines because you think they'd be thought out but my teacher feels that there is kind of a discrepancy between how much students can learn versus how much is what content is being given to them um, by the state standards and I think there needs to be a discussion on that because teachers may have a voice, but they're only one person or maybe a, a minority. And um, even if they do have a majority, if we were, if I remember correctly, a couple of years ago, there was a large teacher strikes to increase teacher salaries. But I believe, don't quote me on this, but uh, there was marginal changes and nothing big really came out of that. So even when a large um, gathering of teachers, their voices aren't very consequential. And I think that's really sad to see because they are the backbone of like the upcoming generation and the youth of America. So to see them not being able to take their experience and their all their time that they spend in school and having their voice not be heard, I think is a real shame for the, um, just for the growth and the direction of education. Yeah, that was very, very good. And I think there's a lot of problems um, with that situation just all across the state. Um, in my school specifically, there is a lot of pressure put on the teachers to enforce the rules put in place by the administration, even if they feel that it isn't, like something they, they want to enforce, they don't believe in. So like last year with the dress code thing again, the dress code was like just a, a massive problem in our school. It still kind of is. Um, there was a way, which is it's very dystopian really. You could report your teacher for not um, dress coding you or like you could, someone else could report your teacher for not doing their job or like not putting your cell phone up. It was just really, it was insane really. And like that kind of pressure on the teacher is just not like, that's not it. You do, that's, like the teachers do so much work to like, like just planning their class, grading, like all that stuff that they shouldn't have to worry about, um, like being written up or getting in trouble for not enforcing a dress code they don't think is fair. It was just really awful to see that. And it was a big deal for like the, the newer teachers as well, because they had just been put in this position and they were just trying to do their job and the students were mad at them for that. And the admin was mad at, like, mad at them for this same thing. It was just, it was just not a good situation. So with the same question about um, pressure putting put on teachers to enforce rules and things of that nature, um, I immediately think about like honors classes and like AP classes and how like I've had great, amazing teachers who want to go like beyond and focus on very interesting uh, topics, but realize that they have to teach for the test um, mainly so that they um, can make sure that their students are successful in what they um, set out to do in by taking that one class. So I definitely think that amazing teachers, like I feel like Aiden was kind of um, talking about this a little bit earlier about how a lot of teachers do want to teach more and actually have a well-rounded curriculum that students actually feel like they learned something and got something interesting out of the class, but are kind of limited and hindered by what is already set out for them to teach. And I definitely think that's one big thing. And, and then also like with, you know, dress code, um, I've definitely had a few teachers that are um, more on the cusp of like, they'll, they'll like point out dress code and like be very adamant about it and then be very adamant about like enforcing it and then be like, well, I'm just a teacher. Like I just have to follow the rules just as much as you do. And like kind of taking the blame off of them. And I mean, I can definitely see like we talked about earlier about like the power dynamic of admin versus teachers and how like if they want to keep their job, they kind of do have to enforce the rules to an extent, you know? So um, yeah, those are some things that I think about when I, 
hear about like the pressure put on teachers is mainly like what can they actually teach and like other policies kind of like workplace politics too of like they might feel like they have to cater towards admin just because they know their higher ups and things like that. And as students, we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, we know that teachers go into meetings a lot, um, but since none of us are teachers, um, I don't know if you have any more personal relations or know those, but those what they do when they're not teaching. But um, we don't know how administration like treats them uh, when students aren't there, when they're trying to give them these guidelines or these rules. I know they have like meetings between similar teachers of the same teaching the same subjects at our school. Uh, I know they have more general teaching teacher meetings with um, like the school administration. But beyond that, we don't know what's going on in that content area. Um, And we don't know exactly what rules or how strictly teachers are being forced to uphold, um, uphold everything, uphold the rules. And we don't know um, how strictly they're being punished if they don't do that and they give some leniency to the students. Oh, and as an additional, I'll just keep talking. Um, What Isha said, I completely agree. I think it's really important for teachers to talk about all these um, interesting and like things that you wouldn't hear at school, which shouldn't even be a phrase because if it is interesting and it is important, that sounds like the perfect content material for students to learn. But the fact is there, because these teachers have these core standards and these test requirements they need to meet, they're focusing on the general information and the storing and then releasing of this information when they could be engaging their students in more meaningful ways that would allow the students to not only get this interesting information and be interested in their classes, but also just being able to more critically think about the world that they live in, um, whether that be about uh, topics talking about minorities or um, the rise of larger companies exploiting their workers. And there are a lot of subjects that, specifically in like the humanities and history, I think there are a lot of topics that would be very important to talk about, but are kind of skimmed over um, in summary, because teachers just don't have enough time to go into real depth and go into real conversation with their students um, because of these standards. Awesome. So yeah, that's the end of our questions. Um, Thank you guys so much for being on the roundtable. It's so important to hear about issues in education directly from Kentucky students. And we appreciate you taking the time to join us for this episode tonight. So thank you guys. Big shout out to Aiden and Isha, both from Jefferson County originally. And yeah, it's been great. Love being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Get Schooled. As always, Get Schooled Student Stories from Across Kentucky is brought to you by the Kentucky Student Voice Team. And you can follow us at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at KYStuVoiceTeam. While you're at it, it would be greatly appreciated if you could share this episode and subscribe to our show at Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please stay tuned for another episode of Get Schooled. See you soon.